Hi, I'm Tommy Spears, the creator of AM1066 and the writer of the Pigeon Boy saga that you've been listening to. Now, before you get to this last episode, I just wanted to let you know, we've started a Patreon for the cast and crew of AM1066, and we would love your support. For just a dollar a month, you'll get a newsletter that'll keep you apprised of all of the upcoming AM1066 events, that's upcoming episodes, but also live shows post-pandemic. For $5 a month, you'll get exclusive content like our recording videos or previously unreleased takes. And for $10 a month, you can chat with the cast and crew, suggest episodes you'd like to see, and even get a shout-out put into the show. So if you've enjoyed listening, please consider giving something to the Patreon. And without further ado, here's the last episode of Pigeon Boy. Is this it? It has to be. She said the big house on the edge of the bowl. It's the only one with a giant C on the gate. This couldn't be any more haunted mansion. So, uh, how do we get in? Let me just... There's no call box. Is there one on your side? Nope. Huh. Uh, ah, do you think we could climb the fence? Parker, I'm not climbing a fence. This isn't Robin Hood. Maybe we should just go. Maybe it's the wrong house. I don't know how it could be. I guess we're about to find out. The Caraway Mansion was a strange sight. The high fence was tipped with spikes, and the grounds were covered with hedges so thick you could barely see the house. Up close, it was even stranger. A one-story stone castle, complete with a tower that overlooked the city. To be honest, it looked like a mistake standing in the middle of the overgrown grass and creeping vines that surrounded it. The landscapers hadn't been there in a very long time, but one person was still there to greet us. Uh, excuse me, hi, hi, we're here to speak to Miss Carraway. We got a phone call. The mistress call? will see you in the East Room. Is that guy a butler? Inside, the house was cluttered. Every winding corridor and massive hall was covered in family photographs, plaques, newspaper clippings. The past was smothering. This is an interesting building. Yes. The mistress's father, Mr. Cecil Carraway, built six different houses on this location, each destroyed by tornado until he settled on the low medieval design you see today. Why didn't they just move into the bowl? Isn't that a, a natural defense against tornadoes? Mr. Carraway felt it vital that he be able to look down on his employees at all times. This way, please. When we finally found ourselves in the East Room with Helen Carraway, she was... Well, she was different than I expected. So how did you know how to reach us? I own the Egyptian Hotel. We had you on file. Oh, It's a shame about the explosion. I'm so sorry. Yes, quite. So, Miss Carraway, you called me about your brother? I called you about my family. I felt we weren't getting a fair shake on your little show. Oh, 
I see. Well, you're welcome to come on record. The Carraways came to this city in 1927. My grandfather moved his young family from New York to Queen City and began plying the family business, livestock theft. He and my dad got to work stealing chickens and cooking them into a paste with beans and rice to disguise them from their owners. That, of course, became the Chicken Beans and Rice Corporation. We're sort of a first family for Queen City. Can we talk about your brother? I was getting to that. My younger brother, Blaine Davenport Carraway, was born on May 8th, 1959. He was... It was an odd birth. Not just because it took my mother. What was odd about it? If you must know, he... There was a growth on his face. A growth? It was a pointed calcium growth. Sort of a... He had a beak? Birds have beaks. My brother had a bone protrusion. If it happened to look like a bird's beak, it was entirely coincidental. So there there was an actual pigeon boy? The cartoon was real. Daddy had about a dozen heart attacks when they published that. He assumed the artist knew about Blaine. He didn't, as far as I can tell. But then Daddy was always sore about Blaine. Sore? I think my father felt it was a personal failure that Blaine never learned to speak. He spent a fortune on surgeries, speech therapists. Nothing worked. But Blaine had such a mind in there. When I was in third grade, I caught him doing my math homework. He must have been five. I had no idea he could even read. I think he was lonely. All alone in that house all day. Father kept him very sheltered. The world can be a cruel place for the different. Was he ever violent as a child? I resent that characterization. Blaine was very gentle. He fed animals off our back porch every day. Squirrels would just come up and eat right out of his hand. He had a sense of justice, I suppose. Our older brother, Freddy, once tried to set my braids on fire. Blaine snatched his cigarette lighter and burned off one of his earlobes. Freddy was quite the little pyromaniac. And that was before Vietnam. But Blaine was... He was loyal and just to a fault. So was Blaine the, I don't know how to say this, the, the creature from the 1974 phone call? No, Blaine barely left the house before he was 16. My father funded a great deal of genetic experimentation on birds. I think it started as research that could eventually help Blaine, but it, pretty quickly devolved into making bigger, meatier chickens. The specimen that attacked that poor man was half toucan. So you knew which phone call I meant. Miss Abigail's. I was a young person in Queen City. We all listened to Please Don't Tell. It's how we found out Peggy Klein tongued Brett Candleman at Debbie Miller's Sweet Sixteen. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were saying that your brother left the house at 16? Well, Daddy felt guilty, I suppose, after that cartoon came out. He bought my brother every mail-order indulgence he could think of. Trampoline, go-kart, BB guns. But Blaine only ever pointed to one toy in the catalog. The fearless flyboy kid hang glider. 
Excuse me? Well, Blaine had been fascinated with flight ever since he read about Bernoulli's principle when he was just eight years old. Daddy broke and got him the glider for his 16th birthday. Blaine took to it so quickly. And then the city really is just a bowl. It's all downhill from our house. He flew over the city? Glided, technically. But yes. And your father was okay with this? I don't think Daddy knew. I mean, the people who saw him were loons. They thought they were seeing a cartoon character. Nobody knew he was real. And Freddie was such a handful when he came back from Vietnam. I think my father was distracted. Speaking of your father, did he and Mayor Crazy conspire that together? awful man. After Mayor Landon had sanctioned the company, we had to fire so many people. I think my father just wanted someone in office for a while who would be a friend to the businessman, just to get back to normal. And he found that in Anthony Creasy? Mayor Creasy ran a very hands-off government in some ways, but then he got the city into so much debt hunting the killer. So your father and Creasy had a falling out? It was more of a wearing out over time. Father loathed fiscal irresponsibility. He backed someone different in 1990, but by then, Creasy whipped up such a fury over the killer, we were stuck with it. Well, you, you know that there's a theory that your father had Mayor Creasy go out and- Absolutely not. My father was a businessman, not a movie gangster. Where would you get such an idea? We did talk to a contract killer. Oh, and Deb Pointer doesn't have a vested interest in spinning that yarn. Everyone in this town just wants to blame all their troubles on my father. If anybody killed Creasy, it was probably... Probably who? Blaine? That's not what I said. What happened to Blaine, anyway? He passed away in a nursing facility upstate. Father sent him. What year did he send him there? Look, Helen, I can go ahead and find the public records myself, or you can tell me right now. 1994. It was... Father was a bit batty by then, talking to ghosts, Fred and my mother. And I was spending most of my time at the office just trying to keep the company running. I was like Churchill, overseeing the dismantling of the Empire. Came home early that morning and Porter told me that he was gone, that he'd come in the front door covered in blood and that father had called for him to be taken away immediately. You didn't get to say goodbye? No. I suppose father really believed he'd done it. He probably thought he was sparing Blaine from prison. But you don't think your brother killed the mayor, do you? My brother was a gentle, lonely soul. I don't think he was capable of murder. Everyone thinks he's that psychopath who gouged eyes, but that's not him at all. He was just a little boy. I think you should go. I'll show you out. Right this way. Hey! We were outside so fast I could barely process what Helen Carraway just said. There was a real pigeon boy. There was a real flying beak-faced human who really stalked the town and really probably killed Mayor Crazy. My head was spinning. Where do we go from here? Well, it's late. We should probably wait until tomorrow to head for Kansas City. A Kansas City? Yeah. It's done, isn't it? 
You found out who Pigeon Boy was. Who killed the mayor. Parker, we don't have the full story, obviously. We can't be sure that Blaine Carraway really murdered Mayor Crazy or that he even existed. I mean, how do we know that Helen Carraway was telling the truth at all? Her whole gray garden set up there didn't exactly scream reliable witness. How much more can you prove? I don't know. We need somebody who was there. Who was there? I may be able to answer that. Ah! Just keep your eyes on the road. Tell us who you are. Keep driving. Who are you? A friend. A friend of whom? A friend of whom. I have something for you. Here. What is this, a, a cassette tape? Yes. What the hell are we going to do with that? Listen to it, I assume. This car doesn't even have a cassette player. Oh, you didn't digitize it? Jesus, I hope it wasn't important. Obviously, it is important. I snuck into your car to give it to you. You couldn't have snuck into the 21st century. Okay, look, I have to go. Ingrates. We drove for 45 minutes to find a big box store, and then we slept in the parking lot until it opened. We searched the entire electronics department to find a cassette player until the assistant manager let us use one in his Geo Metro, a car I really thought people didn't drive anymore. The car was older than I am, so I'm going to go ahead and apologize for this sound quality. You should rest, Ed. No, Karen. I need someone else to know this. In case I... You're not going to. Listen. That night in 94, the night that Creasy died, I was there. Ed, did you... No, no, but I know who did... <coughs> Creasy had called me there late. Very late. He knew I was working a story about him, that I had evidence that he had suppressed a conviction in the Pigeon Boy murders back in 1983. Whose conviction? Some man named Calvin Thistle, I think. Some janitor or security guard or something. He's already dead. So what did Creasy want? He called me there because he said he had something... I'd want to see. Why, oh, I knew it was a trap. But my curiosity got the best of me. <laughs> I put the station revolver in my pocket and drove to City Hall. Is that why the radio station kept a loaded pistol in the break room all these years? No. Actually, it, it was because we got robbed a lot during the Depression. Station management started a, a Be a Hero initiative. Anyway... When I got there, you know, up in his office, this boy comes up behind me, puts a rifle in my back, tries to take my pistol. One of the wild bunch, I guess. Oh, my God, Ed. <laughs> no, he was fine. The kid tried to keep holding his gun with one hand and take mine with the other. I elbowed him in the face, took his rifle, pocket clip. I was in the big one, you know. So then what happened? I made the kid leave. I figured it was going to be to the death. But Creasy just pulled out his briefcase and opened it. A payoff? About $50,000 or so. 
Non-sequential bills, just like in the movies. Well, I'm guessing you didn't take it. Damn right I didn't take it. I spit right in his eye and I told him you couldn't put a price on the truth. You're a knight in shining armor, Ed. Then I told him I was going to watch him die in jail. Oh, never mind. I stormed out of that office and out to my car. Must have been one in the morning. I saw I was half, half out of my head. I saw, well, I couldn't see him, but I thought I saw him, pigeon boy. The murderer? No, damn it. The little boy with wings and a beak from the cartoon. Right, that's... Crazy, I know. But the stab wound the next day. I couldn't come forward. They would have said I did it. But maybe he was real. Maybe I'd just been awake too long. I don't know. You've been awake too long now, Ed. You should rest. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I should. We were lucky to hear this tape. It cleared up the mystery that started it all. What Ed Spectacle was talking about in his 911 call. It even confirmed that Colin Thistle was the serial killer whose initial spree ran from 1978 to 1982. We can infer that either Lindsay Christ or her cult or Anthony Creasy himself were responsible for the horrific 1982 murder of Logan Rivers. And Deb Pointer's testimony points squarely to the mayor and Cecil Carraway. But we still don't know what happened in that office that November night in 1994. And we were running out of people who could tell us. It's Patrick. Now he's trying my phone. You know what? Answer it. Put it on speaker. If this is the end of our story, I want to decide how it ends. Don't hang up. I'm not. Now tell me why I shouldn't. Look, I know you have Every reason to not trust me, and, and I shouldn't have lied. To get you, to the it's... point. I can still help you. I I have more information I haven't shared. Look, if you want to keep being coy, I can just hang up. I was there the night Mayor Creasy died. Oh, and you just sat on that until now? It's. I was. Uh complicated. I, I can explain in person. How do I know it's safe? We can meet in a public place. City Market. Rodney's Deli Counter. 1 p.m. I'll be there. Thank you. It, it really... Come on, Parker. Let's go. City Market is a big, low, red brick building with a huge glass ceiling to let in the light. It's full of booths that used to hold butchers and bakers and specialty grocers. It's pretty much empty now. I hadn't been totally honest with Patrick. Chief Luber and a few other officers would be in plain clothes at the entrances to the market. And I would be wearing a wire. All right, now be careful. All right, uh, we've only got two body mics and the other one has a battery that we can't figure out. By the way... Try to get him to confess to a crime on tape. <laughs> it's been a, been a long time since I've got to tackle a perp.
Can I get anybody something to eat? A sweaty John to go? Rodney, I'm surprised that this is what you do for a living. Do you even like the sweaty John sandwich? Fuck no, it's disgusting. But it's real popular here for some reason. Actually, yeah, we'll take three to go. And so I waited in Rodney's deli for 1.30 to roll around. When Patrick showed up, he looked guilty in that innocent way, like a dog who knows it's been caught stealing from your plate. Thanks for meeting me here. Look, I'm sorry, okay? I would have told you I worked for Creasy, but that that was a long time ago, and that's that's not that's not who I am. Who are you then? <laughs> I'm Oh, right, 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 right. For the podcast. I'm I'm Patrick Shanahan. I own and operate the International Business. Just tell me about the nightmare Creasy got murdered. You said you were there. I was like not the out and out leader of the Wild Bunch, but I was one of the oldest, so I had some status. Um it was election season and Mayor Creasy was paranoid he he was sleeping in his office keeping crazy hours Ugh. it was some last day shit you could really see him fraying around the edges but um, i tried to stay focused on our mission to stay loyal why why what why were you so loyal to him i don't know it's tough to say i mean he really did make us feel like we were changing things. Who doesn't want to believe that they're part of the revolution? And having that power, huh. And I didn't drop out of high school my junior year because everyone there respected me too much. So you became a child soldier? A teen cop. There, there's a difference. Is there, Patrick? This isn't 21 Jump Street. I... Maybe... It was worse there at the end. I could see Mayor Creasy was acting a little more manic, and he kept making speeches saying that we were telling him how close we were to finding the Pigeon Boy killer, but but we never said that, and I started to wonder if he told any other lies. So you were guarding Mayor Creasy the night he was killed? Yeah. He said he needed a special guard for a job. I figured it was something bad, so I sent the younger kids home. And, uh, he told me, uh, somebody was coming to kill him. A hitman. He wanted me to hide in the corner, wait for this guy to come in, then hold him at gunpoint and, uh, take his weapon and knock him out. But you couldn't hold that long of a gun with one hand, right? How did you know that? You're not the first person to tell me this. So, so Ed Spectacle came in and knocked you on your ass? Yeah, I, I recognized his voice when he started talking. He must have been 80, but he still punched like a young man. <laughs> he took my gun and slid it under the couch, and then he kicked me out. What did they talk about? I'm not sure. Money, I, I guess. I, there was a briefcase full of money on the desk after Ed left. I don't think he brought it, though. Creasy was... disturbed when I came back in. How do you mean? He kept pacing and, and talking to himself. And he opened the window and said, 
kind of half-jokingly, we could both jump out. <laughs> Three stories, but he said, y you have to angle it right or you end up driving a wheelchair with your mouth. <laughs> yeah, he was laughing and, and then crying. He kept saying, it's over, it's over. I don't know why. Do you? The short version is that Ed's spectacle had evidence tying Creasy to some of the murders. It was a payoff. Oh, it was for Ed? Jesus. 50000 a lot of hush money. <laughs> I didn't say how much money it was. What? Y yes, you did. I just said it was a payoff. How did you know that it was $50,000? I'm just guessing. Uh, didn't you... Didn't you say 50 grand? Patrick! Okay, I, I was on my stomach, trying to reach the rifle under the couch, but it was pretty far back. I heard Creasy say, What do you want? And, and I looked up and... <sighs> this is gonna sound nuts. Pigeon Boy? He's in the room. I mean, his wings spread out. He, he must have come in through the open window. He's standing on the desk and Mayor Creasy is in front of him, facing him. What did he say? Pigeon Boy? Nothing. Creasy was started in on him, though. You know, he said he was a coward and, and, and a freak. I was watching them, still reaching for the gun. And, uh, and Creasy looks at me and yells, Now! Only uh, I can't reach it. And while he's looking at me, Pigeon Boy dives, sinks his beak right into the mare's chest. I'm on my feet, but uh, now he's, he's looking at me. I grabbed the briefcase off the desk. I was going to throw it at him or, or use it as a shield, but, but he sits down on the desk. Wait, he, he sat down? Calm as a priest. I mean, he sits down, he gestures the couch, and I sit down, and, and he starts talking. Pigeon Boy talked? But he couldn't... Helen said that his beak was calcified at... I don't know how. His mouth, beak, wasn't moving. He had this scratchy voice, and he said, I have done what needed doing. What did you say? Nothing. I was terrified. He just swept me out the door with his wings, and the next thing I know, it's slamming in my face. And I heard the lock go. Creasy wasn't moving when I left. So I ran. Patrick, why didn't you say anything then? I don't know exactly what the punishment for leaving a murder scene with 50 grand in a briefcase is, but I know it's not good. So you just... left? Yeah. Sat on the money for a while. Eventually paid off my mom's mortgage. and I got away with it. Got a second chance, but I felt guilty, you know? Knowing what I knew seeing the real Pigeon Boy. I mean, I wanted this town to know that he was a hero and not a villain. I opened up that museum, I got on the internet, but none of it worked. Until you told me the story. The whole story. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I feel like a weight's been lifted. Like, like I've actually done something. You know what? I'm gonna turn myself into the police. I think I'm ready to try to make this right.
Well, I'm, I'm proud of you, Patrick. You know, a lot of people would never go back. Get on the ground! Uh, what are you doing?! Uh, Didn't you say the code word? We don't have a code word! Oh, right. I'd like to say that's where this story ends. In a pile of broken glass and sweaty John crumbs. But if this case has taught me anything, it's that stories never end simply. I come back to Queen City that February to see what's changed. Well, you can see the place looks a little different. There's traffic! Yeah, well, after your podcast at the air and all, a bunch of them little companies heard about us and how we had all this real estate that was going for pennies. Uh, what do you call them little companies? Startups? Yeah, yeah. Well, about 15 or 20 of them bought about eight city blocks, and they started turning our warehouses and factories into offices. Oh, God, let me think. There was uh, Twizzler, an app that tells you how close you are to a Twizzlers in the area. Real Raider, which lets you give a for real review of your Lyft driver that won't affect their pay. Oh, then Christian Meetup, Christian Hookup, Gay Christian Hookup, Christian's Hookup, and that's just an app where a guy named Christian will come and hook up with you. Oh, and the best part is, come next fall, I get to retire. For good this time. I think. There's new life in the city. And I mean that literally. Employees and their families are moving to the city in droves, buying existing housing cheap or building new in neighborhoods that had almost completely disappeared. It's not just the tech people either. We've got eight new restaurants opening. Three of them make food I've never even heard of. Do you know what dim sum is? They even opened an improv theater. Oh, that's... I... I <laughs> you know, Joan, you're gonna love dim sum. Yeah. Two of these new companies gave me a grant to open a Queen City Historic Museum. Oh my god, Joan, that's, that's wonderful. I know. We'll finally be able to share the illustrious history of this city. I suppose, well, you know, I suppose thanks are in order. You're very welcome, Joan. I guess podcasts aren't such a waste of time after all. Real classy people are moving in. And until somebody else passes the health inspection, I'm the only deli in town. I'm making money hand over counter, baby. Hand over fist? I'm not legally allowed to serve fist meat anymore. The population surge means different things to different Queen citizens. Like former cult member Mackenzie Custard. I'm excited to have so many new people coming to town. None of them know anything about the correctionalists or who I used to be. I get a fresh start in my own hometown. Or the original Pigeon Boy artist, Jerry Krebs. Look, I was glad for the attention your podcast brought to my drawing, but my son works for Christian Hookup, and now he's back in town with his family, and I gotta see them all every other Sunday. Ugh, this is my hell. Or even the body twins themselves, Ron and Deb Pointer. There's going to be a lot of tech bajillionaires coming to town. I think it's time I get back in the game, if you know what I mean. Oh, Ronnie, you're 67 years old. I'm 67 years young, and I've never looked better. But the person who's been through the most since we left is our old friend, Patrick Shanahan. Well, after Chief Luber hauled me to jail, I got my phone call and got a lawyer. Apparently, the statute of limitations for grand theft is three years, and for obstruction of justice, it's six. <laughs> they can't prove I helped the killer, so it 
accessories out. Actually, the lawyer thought after the police broke my ribs, I could sue them. <laughs> but I settled. Oh, so the, the city is paying you a settlement? Even better. Joan is letting me curate the whole exhibit about Pigeon Boy in her museum. I put up stuff about the character, the murders, maybe even get a certain last surviving member of the Caraway family to let me talk about the real Pigeon Boy. Congratulations, Patrick. Thanks. It'll be a shame to give up owning my own museum, but it'll be nice to get more than two visitors in a decade. You seem awfully happy for somebody with a cast around his torso. Of course I'm happy. People know the truth about Pigeon Boy. And I made a friend. At least, I think so. I think so, too. You ready to go, Sarah Ashley? Four-hour drive back to the airport. Just about. I'm trying to think of the perfect out for this story. Like, what did we learn? That Colin Thistle was probably a murderer? That there was a real pigeon boy? I don't mean facts, Parker. I mean, like, big lessons. Maybe that cops protect their own, or that mobs rarely make smart decisions. Oh, that twists are really good for ratings. I guess? We already knew that, though. That's, that's no ending. I don't know. What's ending? I looked around. The snow was melting, and little green shoots were sticking their heads out of the ground. Nothing was over. Except a podcast season. Queen City would feel the echoes of Pigeon Boy, the killings, the legends, and the lies, long after everyone had forgotten the story. I wondered if the new arrivals would even ever learn about Pigeon Boy. Would the legends still get passed down child to child? Or would the lessons this town learned fade from memory? like a song half heard at some middle school dance in some other place and some other childhood. I, for one, hope that we don't forget, that we connect our past and our present and our future. I think we can. We just have to choose to do it. I was thinking about how I might end this season the whole way home. When I got back to my apartment, there was a thin express envelope waiting for me. Inside was a note and a burned CD. The note simply said, Dear Sarah Ashley Elizabeth, Thanks for telling our story and for showing me that mine's not over yet. Regards, Rodney Faber, a.k.a. Boy Pigeon. Parentheses, the rapper, not the killer. You know, no matter how old you are, it's nice to know you've made a friend. I'll let Rodney take us out. From all of us here at Upsetting Investigations, I'm Sarah Ashley Elizabeth Abigails, and I hope you don't get murdered. Sounds good. Yeah, bring in the bass right there. That's nice. Boy Pigeon, 2021. Queen City, make some room in your hearts. I need a place to sit down. A 
But don't call it a comeback. Rhyme's still sharper than a thumbtack. Flowing like the sweat drops, sliding down your bum crack. Remember when they all said your boy's just some hack? Joke's on them, cause I still got some jack. And now they all wanna flock with Boy Pigeon. Sitting looking dusty, hoping, wishing. Meanwhile, I'll be stepping back up on the scene. My city is the queen, loaded up with sticky green. And the bowling blow it out across the city that got soul. Where the ladies act cold, and there's little flecks of gold in the water. But it's okay, now bring your sons and daughters to the place where every day make you feel like you won the lottery. Mm. Still got it. Baritone rapper. A true master of ceremonies. Longer than we agreed to. Second verse is for these plate kids and paid kids. We should to be somewhere less the same kid shape. But listen to the wisdom of the saint man. It could always be worse. You could get your eyes pecked out or wind up in a hearse. The universe is very large after all. And we're small, just looking for a purpose, waiting for a call, and searching for clues to what we're supposed to do. For the limited time we get to spend time being you. So I'ma do whatever's on my mind to do and make the kind of shit that you wish that you could also do. You know it's true. And now I'm focused on my vision, so have no doubt. It's onward and upward and out. Mm. I'm feeling myself. Kids are saying that, right, Ken? Ken? Feeling myself? That's still in the lexicon? Okay, well, when you finish, let me know.